Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. It is season two with Richie and I. We have uh, had a prolonged absence. It was football season. I don't think any of you can blame us. We didn't do too well in fantasy football this year, Richie, in comparison to most years, huh? Well, fantasy football, I did pretty well. Fantasy baseball, not so much. What'd you end up finishing for fantasy football? Three for four? Uh, I actually didn't win any leagues, but I was in four, and I took second in three of them. Okay, but this is what I mean. Normally, you're like three for four with three championships. You've beaten up on half the United States and you know, collected about $1,500 where you can fly off to Cabo. Yeah, not this year, not this year. At least yeah. I uh, did profit a little bit, so I'll take it. It was, a, it was a strange 2020, 2021, kind of going into 2022 season, and I think we'll probably touch on that a little bit today in regards to this upcoming baseball season. Uh, but also at the same time, expectation would be for things to normalize. But here we sit, February, what is it today, the 16th, a couple of days after Valentine's Day, and uh, we're still in a lockout. So what are, you, what are you thinking for baseball season this year? When do you think opening day will be? I don't think we're seeing any baseball in April. I think it's going to be sometime the beginning or middle of May. I think we're going to have that full April for some sort of modified spring training. And hopefully the Players Association and MLB can come to some agreements, but it doesn't look too good right now. What do you think? Yeah, it doesn't look really good right now, especially with Major League Baseball, their propositions. Um, they're, I mean, they're so far apart on the money. The last time I heard, they're about $100 million in between each other for the arbitration pool. Minor league salaries are in contest as well here. They have a lot of like negotiation to really do, and it sounds like each time they meet, they're about 5% closer to the original um, actual offer. And honestly, we could be you know end of March here. It doesn't sound like the owners are going to budge. It's going to be hard for some of these players. You know, After a shortened season of 2020, they lost a lot of their salary and their paychecks that year. I think the owners are thinking to themselves, we're in a power position here. You know, we can sit tight and hold our stance. These players who have already lost 75% of their income, they cannot. So it'll be interesting to see what time, what, what side folds first. But uh, definitely agree with you. I think if not all of April will be lost, I think at least most of April, I, th I think we could see, you know, April 21st, 22nd, whatever that final Monday is, maybe the start of the season. Uh, which for a lot of the players that we're going to talk about today might actually be a benefit, right? How many guys have issues in the cold weather? You know, Luis Castillo being one of those guys last year that had his agent come out and talk about how, you know, he doesn't perform well in cold weather and blah, 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 blah. Uh, so it could be a kind of a shortened season, but maybe a better performance for some of our guys. But we're going to kick it off today. Uh, Richie and I have three great segments for you. We are going to do a little recapping of the 2021 season kind of give you a breakdown of uh, some of the players that really over uh, surprised our expectations. And then we're going to talk about some underperformers. But first, Richie, we had a very fun final four in our, you know, most predominant emotionally attached league. What ended up happening in our, uh, in our dynasty league? Yeah. So the final four was you and me, uh, one of our buddies, Jackson and Reed. I took on Jackson in the semifinals, where you took on Reed in the semifinals. We both lost, unfortunately, and I believe Reed uh, took the the crown and beat Jackson in the in the championship. So we hate to see it, but we were trying to prevent Reed from getting his first championship. But he ended up squeaking out a win against Jackson, and so congrats to him. Uh, but what what do you think, Matt? Both of our teams kind of uh, shit the bed there. Uh, how do you feel about your team overall, though? Yeah, I mean, it was hard. Um, and this is something that I think we can we can talk about when we get to pitching rankings today, which we will later on. But I built my team on pitching. And my pitchers had pitched, you know, a predominant amount of innings last year. Garrett Cole, Valdez had been out for a while. So when he was coming back, he wasn't really stretched out. Taylor Malley playing in Cincinnati was very hard. You Darvish was absolutely terrible for those of you that own him and know how bad his performance was in the second half. Chris Sale was out there playing pretty well for me, but not getting extended innings, you know, really hurting that production in a points league because I was just hoping for quality starts and wins. Wasn't able to get both really at all throughout the, the second half of last season. Carlos Rodon was out with that injury. I think we kind of called that midseason saying, hey, you know, he's performing fantastic, but can he keep it up with the lack of workload he's had over the last two and three years on top of the injury issues? 
Jack Flaherty, another name that was on my roster. Uh, just overall, guys did not live up to expectations. I was picking up guys like Frank Schwindel, who was absolutely hot, only to pick him up and not have him be hot for the week I needed, while Patrick Wisdom was out there and I had dropped him, and then he goes off for four home runs. So I definitely played the pickup and drop game wrong. Um, and that's something that, you know, I think is a, a strategy definitely come playoff time where teams are going to try to um, get the hottest bats in their lineup. But the goal should be that you have, you know, start sit them in stardoms, just guys that are in there all season long. Harper for Reed played really well. He had Vlad. He had Soto. He had some guys that just performed at great clips all season. Uh, if you look at your own roster, though, Richie, who were some of the guys that kind of got cold for you or let you down? And what was the biggest move that you feel like impacted not making the championship? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily hot or cold for me as much as it is injuries. I lost Shane Bieber. I lost uh, Jesse Winker. I lost Trevor Rogers uh, near the end. He was also a young gun that was on an innings limit. And just uh, that overall Anthony Rendon I had, he uh, left on me early on. So I was also playing the waiver wire just like you. picked up uh, Adam Duvall and Jorge Soler, who got a little bit on a hot streak. The one I missed out on was Tyler O'Neill. I remember you and I both thinking to each other, man, this guy's hitting a home run every other game. Why didn't we pick him up? And so I think that is the one that kind of is nagging at me. Um, but I think ultimately, if I look back and look at everything, starting Otani as a hitter over a pitcher for me there at the end was the one that did me in, and that's why I lost to Jackson. Well, yeah, and we look at, uh, I guess that's a good segue into you know our, our next segment 1.2 here, which is players that surprised us last year. You had Otani all year. 1,012 points isn't, I mean, that's just astounding, right? Like what he was able to do for you as a, a pitcher batter option. Now, again, our league isn't daily, so you've got to make these decisions on a week to week basis, but he was almost 400 points out of the next guy in total points for in our league. And again, strikeouts don't count against. So some of these numbers are going to be higher, but outside of what Otani did for you, who are some of the guys that you were really surprised by? that kind of built themselves over expectations for our rankings going into the 2021 season. Yeah, there's a lot of people that caught my eye. As far as pitching goes, the names that really stuck out to me were Robbie Ray, Kevin Gosman, Sandy Alcantara, and then uh, for relievers, Emmanuel Classe, and then Matt Barnes before he fell off near the end of the season. All of them had phenomenal Statistics. The one I really want to point out here, though, is Robbie Ray, somebody who I always liked, even back when he was on the Diamondbacks, always had a great um, strikeout per nine. Oh, I think it was easily double digits every year, but he always had issues with his walks, always three to four, sometimes five, uh, every outing he had. But this past year, he figured it out, and he had a 1.04 whip. And going into next year, I think he's even going to do better. He's now pitching for the Seattle Mariners. That's a better division. He's not on the Toronto Blue Jays in that AL East and the hitter-friendly park of Toronto. So I'm really excited to see what he can do this year. But I want to know, what are some that you liked and uh, who stuck out to you? Yeah, there were a lot of, I mean, a lot of amazing performances this past year that kind of came out of nowhere. And I think this is a trend that we will see till the till the end of time. It's just the amount, right? Last year was incredible. And I, I wonder if guys like Robbie Ray and Emmanuel Classe, if they benefited a lot from the ball change, right? Because Classe in particular throws a very straight fastball and a very, very hard cutter. You know, you go from a very uh, juiced ball, quote unquote, right, to more of a traditional baseball. Those pitches are a lot harder to hit 410, 420 feet. And both of these players the year before, they showed terrible numbers correct like Robbie Ray was a shell of himself there was a reason he went for a dollar in our dynasty draft this past draft same thing with class a had a lot of issues with walks and was hit hard so I'm thinking they probably benefited from this uh this new ball and I think we'll have a new um a new tier of these guys in the 2022 season that we see the same kind of performances from because pitchers are finally incentivized to actually do their job properly without the ball bouncing off the bat but you said it earlier, Tyler O'Neill. You know, we've been waiting for his physical skills, his tools to catch up with actually the numbers. 
And I think finally this past year we saw that. And I think we saw that on a level that wasn't expected. I think this was the ceiling for Tyler O'Neill. I mean, 34 home runs, he hit 286. That's almost 500 fantasy points in our league. And a majority of that was done in the second half, if, if I'm correct there. And that's astounding, especially with the ball that we just talked about. Now, maybe one more name that I would throw into this, this list was a big free agent signing this past year. And it's not the first season he's overperformed, in my opinion. But Semyon, who is now going to be playing down for the uh, Texas Rangers, Marcus Semyon had 645 fantasy points in our league. That was just incredible. This overwhelmingly uh, marvels his MVP season where he finished third in voting for Oakland, uh, which was another incredible season. And then I guess the last guy I'll mention here, Salvador Perez, 48 home runs, had 590 fantasy points. We talk often about the catching position being a black hole. Um, and when we get to our prospects here in a little bit, I think that will change a little bit in the years to come. But to put up 48 home runs and 590 uh, points, while also I think he played over 140 games, that's they're just incredible for me. And that goes to show Jackson was in the championship. His staple, you know, his big horse was Salvador Perez. And when he needed it the most, Salvi was homering four or five times a week. I know you know it well. You know, you had a two-week matchup against him. Um, definitely the MVP from a fantasy perspective, in my opinion, outside of Otani. Absolutely. I did not like going up against Salvador Perez. But Marcus Semien with 45 home runs, too. I don't think he comes close to that this next season in uh, Texas Rangers. That ballpark's a little more pitcher-friendly. And he's not going to have uh, as great as batters around him in the lineup. Um, but let's move on to some underperformers. Uh, Matt, give me a couple or a few that you thought really underperformed your expectations this year. Yeah, I mean, I think the first that come to mind is Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich. We've seen some issues from both of them, you know, dating back to 2019 when they were both absolutely out of this world. Um, I'm not ready to write him off. You know, I think guys can go through bad stretches. I think the most notable, a guy that overperformed last year, Joey Votto. It's been three years since Joey Votto has been, you know, a good player. All of a sudden, Joey Votto finds his form last year. You know, another name to holler out there is Paul Goldschmidt, right? These guys can have a couple down years, and these guys, Goldschmidt and Votto, are much older than Yelich and Bellinger. So I think Definitely down years. You did not get your return on investment based on where you drafted these guys, but I think this is the year you can actually draft them around seven, eight, nine, possibly 10 if guys are not feeling comfortable with them and actually get a good return on your investment. The other name I want to talk about is Frankie Lindor. Kind of the same bag of tricks there. Had issues in New York, had a very, very good uh, second half, if not final month of the season. So Lindor showed some promise. He did sign the contract. Maybe he was just adjusting to the pressure of New York. Uh, did come in at 3.1 fantasy points per game in our league, which is not something you want to see, especially from a guy that's going in the top five rounds. And then finally, the last guy I want to mention is Jorge Soler. You know, this is a guy that you draft for power. If you're in Roto Leagues, you're giving up batting average, you're giving up OBP, you're getting power. Soler had 27 home runs last year. Wasn't bad. Definitely wasn't the 40-some he had in Kansas City a few years ago. And then had an absolute monster postseason. One of the reasons the Braves are champions is because of Soler. So definitely didn't give you uh, regular season push, but it's an interesting classification this year. You know, if you're in a five outfielder league, Soler's like definitely a guy at the end of drafts that you should probably grab with the expectation that he'll have a bounce back season, probably end more of 33 to 37 home runs. But 27 was not what drafters were looking for last year. Yeah, the one that I really want to hone in is Anthony Rendon. When he was healthy, he underperformed, especially on my team. That was one guy I was really hoping to hit and do well for me. And Eugenio Suarez, uh, I remember he got dropped in our league, and I spent a lot of fab money on him just for him to hit under 200 with uh, uh, maybe one or two home runs uh, a week, but that's not enough to get it done. But the one that really underperformed for me is Trevor Bauer, especially once the sticky stuff came out. I believe that was the middle of June. And I know he had that sexual assault um, charges that he was facing and then didn't really play after June. But in those last two games, his strikeout rate was really was real good. He was getting eight to ten strikeouts per game, but his walk rate was up three, four batters and then giving up three to four runs. He ended up with a 257 ERA, but it was trending the wrong direction. 
those last three, four starts after that sticky stuff came out. And um, I know the charges criminally have been dropped against Trevor Bauer, but the investigation is still open against him as in terms of the MLB. So I'm very curious to see how that goes, but I don't have much confidence in him, especially with the sticky stuff crackdown. Yeah, it's gonna be hard, man. You know, I think I watched the video of his um, his first like public speaking uh, after the incident had wrapped after the DA in LA County, Pasadena County, decided not to press charges. And it's hard, you know. I, I don't know what stance to take on this because my first initial stance is I don't like Trevor Bauer, and then I'm going to believe any accusations against him. When you hear him talk, it sounds very much like the Kobe Bryant situation back when we were kids, when it looks like someone was just out for money. Right. And at the end of the day, you can't play fantasy baseball based on uh, your moral integrity. As much as I like to joke about that in our text threads, you've got to do what's best for your team. And Major League Baseball now has to do the same thing. But they do live by that kind of code of moral integrity. Right. Because ultimately it comes back on their marketing teams. It comes back on the image of the front office. Where will Trevor Bauer play in 2022? I don't think it's L.A. I think maybe it's with the Angels. Um, Maybe it's with a team like Seattle. I think you know, he's got a contract, so he's got to be moved. The team's got to be willing to pay that contract. It's very up in the air. And I think when it comes to his 2022 status, if you've got him in dynasty leagues, you got to, got to keep him. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're uh, rough around the edges on pitching, you got to hold Trevor Bauer. Cause even with the lack of sticky stuff, he's still a top 30 pitcher. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I think his strikeout upside, regardless of those earned runs and walks still gives him that high ceiling just for strikeouts alone. I'd say, yeah, top 30, uh, maybe top 40 is his, uh, not ceiling, his floor at this point. And maybe he adjusts to the sicky stuff and figures it out, and maybe he returns to a top 5, top 10 pitcher. But I think his ceiling now is maybe a top 15, top 20 guy, which is still very valuable. Yeah, no, I agree. I think top 15 is the perfect place to, to place him as a ceiling guy. Um, yeah. And out of all these guys, all the guys we just talked about, say you're in the seventh, eighth round, you're in a points league or you're in our dynasty league, right? Who are you taking for this season? So throw away the concept of keeping them for four years and their contracts attached. If we talk about Bauer, Bellinger, Yelich, Lindor, and, you know, we'll say Anthony Rendon. We'll talk about that seventh round range because all of these guys are going to fall, you know, and I think Rendon probably will be taken fourth round, but, that's another conversation to be had about, you know, the ball change in his ability. Who are you taking? You know, I'd have to lean towards Francisco Lindor or Christian Yelich, or not Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger. I think I'd probably go Cody Bellinger. Shortstop's always going to be deep, so you can get one of those other safe floor guys later on. But Cody Bellinger, we've seen him win MVP just, what, two, three years ago? I don't know what's wrong with him. We know what his ceiling is. Christian Yelich, we know he's won MVP too, but ever since he broke his knee with that uh, foul ball, he's never been the same. So as much as it is being a Brewers fan, I'd like to see him get back to form, but I just don't trust it. It's one of those things I have to see it to believe it. And with Trevor Bauer, there's just so much unknown. It's so risky. Kind of reminds me of when that one player in fantasy football just drops like AJ Green a few years ago or Michael Thomas last year and you're like oh I'm gonna get a a huge discount on this guy because nobody wants him because he's injured and he's not gonna play half the season and then you take that risk and you end up drafting him and then it bites you in the ass and Michael Thomas never plays and AJ Green's never right that's kind of the feeling and vibes I get with Trevor Bauer this year I don't know if we're going to see him, or if we do see him, it's not, it's going to be a shell of himself. And I don't think he's really going to get back to his form until 2023. Enough of uh, this talk. Let's move on to our next segment of prospects and prospects, particularly that can help you in this year as well as future years. So we've got a, a list of them for you guys, but Matt, let's uh, pick out one or two to start. Um, and you, uh, you tell me what you like about them. You're really going to make me choose one or two. Our list is like 11 long. We have a lot well, of guys we are excited about. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to them, but we can't okay. just list off all of them. Like, um, let's just start, start slow. Yeah, we have a lot of guys we're in love with this season. There's a lot of guys that are major league ready. Um, and I think the 2022 season, unlike the 2020 season, the 2021 season is a great opportunity for some of these youngsters to come up because there was so much uncertainty about last season, especially the 2022 season. 
teams did not want to burn control of these players for, you know, a quarter of a season or a season that may be put on pause or having the COVID list with the the constant uh, five or six guys up and down. So 2022 is going to be a very fun season for prospects. And with that being said, I'm going to start off with the two guys that I think make an immediate day one impact. Um, maybe not the sexiest of names for Josh Jung, but Josh Jung, Josh Jung is going to be, is, am I saying that right? Is it Young or is it pronounced Jung? Uh, depending on the expert or analyst, it's Young. Okay. Um, but I have heard Jung, but Young is more commonly let us, used. Let us decide on this podcast right now. We're going to go with Young because Jung just sounds like a bag of marbles. Um, <laughs> so Josh Young is a 23-year-old in the Texas Rangers organization. We kind of talked about Marcus Simeon not having the same lineup protection that he had in Toronto. Well, if Jung comes up, Young, excuse me, we're talking about an added weapon to this lineup. Uh, Corey Seager's obviously there as well. Young has been a guy that was taken in the first round. I think he's now in developmental stages of maybe his fourth or fifth minor league season. Uh, finally, the last season showed really the total package that we were looking for uh, and, and honestly performed amazing. He hit 326, high-end power expectation here as well. We're looking at 20 to 25 home runs, possibly his rookie season. I would expect him to bat anywhere from 270 to 280, uh, especially depending on where they put him in that lineup. To see anywhere from about 500 to, uh, I'd say, 580 at-bats. Guy's got a lot of power, uh, hits the gaps well, especially in Texas. That's going to be a big deal. He's going to have high doubles numbers because those fences are pushed out a little bit farther than they should be. I think this is one of the best third-base prospects, kind of guaranteed third-base prospects to come up in a while. We thought Cabrian Hayes was going to be that guy. A little bit less power in Cabrian Hayes than Young. Young is a guy that I will expect to hit 30 home runs once he hits that age 28, 29 uh, continuing to keep a good average strikeout rates actually pretty decent as well. You've got an overall good ball player here that probably makes one, two, three all-star games. I don't want to go ahead and you know announce him a Hall of Famer, but I definitely think he has all-star potential, especially with Seager and uh, Semyon. So Young is my first, and then Adley Rutschman is my second. There's not much that needs to be said about Adley Rutschman. The best catching prospect, I would say, since Matt Wieters. Matt Wieters is definitely the comp a lot of other experts in the industry have uh, have tossed on here because Wieters had the, just the perfect package and didn't work out. I think we'll see the opposite from Rutschman. I think we see very similar to a Hall of Fame Yadier Molina career here, maybe a Buster Posey career. Uh, I don't think he's as good of a defender, but again, for fantasy baseball, that doesn't matter whatsoever. Rutschman last year had 23 home runs. He hit over 285. Big performance from the bat. Good contact numbers. He's got explosive power. And he's going to need it. Out in Baltimore, they did just change the fences, especially in left field. I think they left right field alone. He is a switch hitter, though, so that should affect a little bit of his power from the right side. But the guy, when he connects, makes absolutely prodigious power. Um, and he, he's going to be the staple of this lineup for years to come. And I think it's going to help guys like Cedric Mullins and some of the other prospects that the Baltimore Orioles have coming up. I expect to see Rutschman and Young opening day this season. Yeah, I like Josh Young. Uh, a lot here. I don't know if he's going to be as big of a power guy as we think he's going to be. I predict him maybe to get 15 to 20 home runs, but I do like his average potential. I think he at least hits 280. I think he's going to be a little slow out of the gate right away. Like you said, he's got a, a decent strikeout rate, uh, roughly around 25% in AA and AAA last year. So that's good. It'll be nice to see if he can translate that to the majors. I'd like to see him walk a little bit more. But as far as third base prospects goes, he's the best you're going to get. Cabrian Hayes, like you said, he was more known for his average and hit tool and not so much his power. And we kind of saw that. I know he dealt with a, a wrist injury, but Adley Rutschman, I mean, you hit it right on the head. I mean, a surefire prospect. Let's move on. I want to talk about, let's talk about our boy, Jose Miranda. Now, this is a guy who did phenomenal in triple a hit a 344 average and had 30 home runs we were shocked to see that he didn't get called up for the minnesota twins last year especially when they were kind of doing bad at the end of the year this is somebody who i think if not for josh young is going to be the one who comes up and makes a bigger impact um for the majors but what do you think about that matt 
So you look at Miranda's numbers, and I own Miranda in our biggest league, right? Uh, so it's nice, and I'm a little bit biased here, but I'm not actually going to talk about how great I think Miranda is. Um, I'm actually going to talk about kind of my concerns, and this is from a few industry guys and a few scouts that I have kind of followed on Twitter slash listened to on their own podcasts. Miranda's love doesn't go as far as his numbers show. The concern is his bat speed. A lot of raw power, a lot of power just from the simple forearm flick from his overall mechanics of his bat path. And in AAA and in AA, that works, right? You're facing pitchers that may not be throwing as hard, may not be locating as well. When you get to the major leagues, you really need to have that bat speed to continuously have power into your prime and then, you know, trailing out of your prime. So when you're talking about a 572 slug in the minor leagues between AA and AAA, you think as an analyst, oh my God, you got to have this guy. But I'm a little bit concerned about the bat speed. Um, I want to see what happens on opening day. I think when you look at his numbers, there's absolutely no question he should be on on the Minnesota Twins right away. I know Donaldson's playing at third, and he's kind of blocked. But with the DH not having Nelson Cruz there, you have numbers like this from a guy that is 23 years old. You bring him up, you see what you have. You know, maybe you have a star, maybe you have a guy that's not as good, and you, you trade him out before his flame you know dwindles out. But just the numbers, they jump off the page. Just to give a little bit of perspective here, he is still not listed on MajorLeague.com's top 100. That in itself is just gross misconduct, in my opinion, because, again, you look at the numbers. But overall, I, I do like the profile. Concerned with the bat speed, but we have seen guys in the Major League succeed that don't have the most ridiculous bat speed and generating the most power from that speed by just simply being good baseball players. And I think that's what Jose Miranda is. He's a good baseball player that could eventually become an all-star maybe one or two all-star games if he can find a way to use his approach from the minors in the majors. And getting 344 in double-A AA and triple-A, that's definitely going to work with his profile. No, he's definitely not going to hit that in the majors, and maybe he hits 275, 300. Um, maybe he struggles against some of the, the greater pitchers, but he is in the AL Central, so he's going to be playing against some people that he's played against in the double-A AA and triple-A that just came up. Um, some of the Kansas City Royals and uh, players like Jackson Coar, Daniel Lynch, he he's going to see those guys who just came up and are going to be fresh. Uh, the next guy I want to talk about is Julio Rodriguez. Outfielder for the Seattle Mariners, he had a fractured hand or wrist, something um, in the shortened 2020 season, which kind of dampered uh, his progression in terms of moving up through the ranks. Um, 2021, he did phenomenal. Batted 347, had 13 home runs, um, but I like the speed here. 21 stolen bases. I I think he's the best comp. I guess he reminds me of Andrew Benintendi when he first came up. Somebody who's gonna give you that profile of batting over 300. Maybe he doesn't give you the most home runs, but you know he's gonna be solid. Now. Andrew Benintendi kind of fell off a little bit here, but that's kind of kind of what I see here with Julio Rodriguez. What are your thoughts on him? I mean, this is the best prospect since Vladdy. This is the best prospect since Fernando Tatis. This kid's going to be an absolute superstar. I, I, I don't think there's any way around that. I mean, he has been touted as this since, you know, he was 16 years old with an international signing. He hit 347. There are so many people around the industry, and if you followed the growth of Julio Rodriguez, you know all of these stories, but they brought up his uh, overall um, control and leadership skills in winter ball last year over the Arizona Fall League, and you know he was 18, 19 years old with that, that Fall League starting, and the scouts had said he commanded the entire team. That was his team. He's a teenager out there being the leader of that team because he knows he's the best and they know he's the best. When you talk about overall best ability and best prospects, that's guys like Vladdy. That's guys like Fernando Tatis. And Julio Rodriguez, even though he's going to play in Seattle, a little bit bigger ballpark, he has the power to hit the ball out of any park. You think about Eloy Jimenez, right? His his star hasn't shined as bright because of some of the injuries, but same kind of power. When he hits it, it's, it's not going to be a wall scraper. It's absolutely out of any ballpark. Julio Rodriguez is also going to give you that 300 average. He's the overall package. Uh, I think the wrist injury really kind of kind of shuddered some of the talk about him being the next face of baseball, but he's going to join Vladdy and Fernando, and he's going to be that guy that I think helps elevate Seattle to the next level. If you've got him, you can't let him go. You know, if he's out there, I'd say take him, you know, late in the draft this year. I, th I think he's going to provide impact probably come July or maybe August because I do think he comes up. Um, but I do not think we see the same performance that we saw from Kelnick last year for Seattle, who definitely fizzled out. 
Do you think if you're in a redraft league this year, this year, Richie, you want any part of Julio Rodriguez or is he more of a dynasty outlook for you? Yeah, I definitely am going to take a, a couple shares on him with the hopes that he gets brought up. It's just a matter of will the, the Mariners uh, bring him up this year? You know, we still have yet to see what happens with the lockout and what they do about bringing prospects up. Do they wait for, they change the Super 2 date? Is there going to be this whole wait uh, a month and a half before they bring prospects up? That's something that very well could change, but I definitely would take a, a last-second flyer with one of my last five picks on Julio Rodriguez if he's not going any higher than that. I Definitely somebody I'd uh, at least want to get one share of in my leagues. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've got two more guys before I finish out with my, my favorite players. Um, and I'm just going to talk about them real quick. Nolan Gorman for St. Louis, and then we have Tristan Casas for Baltimore. Two guys you and I have been kind of fans of for the last, I'd say, two years. Um, you know, Nolan Gorman coming out of the draft, he had 80-grade power, very Joey Gallo-esque, had huge strikeout issues in the minor leagues, couldn't make proper contact. Last season, switches over to AAA, actually lowers that strikeout rate significantly. Not sure I'm buying it yet, but his path is blocked in St. Louis with uh, Nolan Arenado at third, so the expectation is that he will be actually playing second base filling in there and kind of uh, altering his career path. You're talking about a second baseman that could pull Brandon Lau numbers here. I'm all about it. I don't care about the strikeouts. I was not a big believer at third base with his strikeouts, but you talk about a second baseman that can hit you possibly 40 home runs in his prime. Absolutely love what Norm Nolan Gorman can do. I am going to keep an eye on those numbers, especially the strikeout swing and miss rate this season, uh, overall barrel rate, and his launch angle. But what Nolan Gorman was able to do last season was great. And then Tristan Casas, you're talking about the next Boston Red Sox first baseman. Um, definitely didn't live up to potential until this past season came back from Team USA and showed a lot of confidence. And I think it shows in the numbers. And I think this coming season, Dahlbeck's in trouble there in Boston because Casas is a much better talent and he hits the ball with contact at a much higher rate. What do you think about these two guys? I love Nolan Gorman. I've had my eye on him for the past two, three years. Um, he was my initial replacement plan when I had Nolan Arenado, and this was somebody I was watching very closely. Watched some film on him uh, last year, and he kind of has that uppercut swing, which gives him all that power. So I could see some uh, some misses in his profile. Um, but moving to second base, like you said, you're not going to find that, especially at this position. We've seen it year over end. And who do we have? Jose Altuve, that's really the only one that really hits for consistent power lately. Um, Tristan Casas, um, I, I think we've both been so high on him that we're kind of disappointed now that we haven't seen him. I think you and I both were expecting him to come up early last summer, and he just was slow to progress. Bobby Dahlbeck's, uh was super hot at the end of the year last year, which is going to prevent Casas from coming up. I don't think we see him until the middle of summer, if not uh, maybe August or September. I think the Red Sox have no reason to rush him right now, especially in the nine games he played at AAA, he only had a 242 batting average. Now, I know that's a small sample size, but he's still got a little um, developing to do, and I think and I hope he does that progression this year. But uh, very excited for, for him, but I don't think he's going to give you an immediate impact right away. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think... I think it's going to it's going to take some time <clears throat> moving along here, Richie. I want to get your opinion on a couple guys. We have Brennan Davis for the Cubs, the outfielder that was a big player in the Futures game last year. We have Grayson Rodriguez for the Orioles. We kind of talked about the changing in wall dimensions for them. And we have our boy A.J. Melendez, the guy that was basically off everyone's dynasty roster to begin the season last year because he was god awful. Uh, these are three big names, three big climbers. What are your thoughts on Rodriguez? on Melendez and uh and who was the last guy I mentioned Davis you know because I hate the Cubs I just block them out yeah I like uh Brennan Davis you know he started the year out at high A and moved all the way to triple A by the end of the year I, he did great in the futures game this year which kind of put him on the radar for some people I know in our dynasty league uh the hometown Cubs fans uh snatched him up right after that he's got a, a lot of power potential I do worry about his average um 
but we'll see. I don't know if the Cubs necessarily will bring him up just because they are in a rebuild, so if they can control him one extra year, I don't see why they would bring him up, especially if they're struggling right now. He only played 15 games in AAA, so doesn't hurt to put a full year in for him there. Grayson Rodriguez, I think he's going to be phenomenal. I don't necessarily think the Orioles will bring him up this year just because they're the Orioles and they take their sweet time with their prospects. Um, but then again, he's been progressing with Adley Rutschman every step of the way. So I very well could see them both moving up at the exact same time. So if Adley Rutschman is up at the beginning of the season, maybe Grayson Rodriguez is too. I think it's one or the other. I think you're either going to see him starting right away or you don't see him until the middle of summer. And then who was the last person you mentioned? I forgot. Our boy AJ Melendez, or MJ. MJ Melendez. MJ Melendez. Yeah, um, I don't have his profile up right now, but I do know that he led the majors in home runs with over 40. I don't know the exact number. Somebody who kind of burst onto the scene this year, um, but then again, it's the Kansas City Royals. It's It'll be interesting to see what they do, especially with Bobby Witt. Are they going to bring up these guys and let them play? Um, but he does play catcher, and they have Salvador Perez, so they could play him at DH. It'll be interesting to see. I know there was some talks that he might move over to first base, but they also have Nick Prado. So he's also doing well in the minors. So uh, there's some nice, bright, young stars uh, blooming in the Kansas City Royals uh, minor league system, and that'll be a fun team to watch in the coming years. Yeah, I mean, you talk about Salvi out there in Kansas City behind the dish, um, and then you talk about Melendez, who his overall slash line was 41 home runs in 123 games. That was 448 at-bats. I mean, you're talking about this as, you know, a major league comp. That's 50 home runs. Now, I know very different in approaches and pitching styles, but 41 home runs in comparison to the season he had before. I want to say, again, without looking at his profile, he batted under 180 in 2022. I think his 2019 season was almost as bad. He completely flipped the switch. Melendez hit 288 last season. Now, again, in 448 at-bats, he had 115 strikeouts, so it's a little bit higher. But when you're hitting 41 home runs with, you know, 22 doubles, this guy's a freak in nature. And it's a testament to that organization and what they were able to do with just reworking his swing, reworking his confidence. And that's kind of why I hope to see them bring Melendez up this season. You go out there and have what is an MVP minor league season, and then if you go back to AAA and you falter a little bit, it kind of undoes, undoes some of that confidence he had. I say bring him up right away. Find a spot for him, right? If it's DH, if it's you know spelling uh, Salvador Perez at the, at the dish once in a while, just getting him in that lineup, getting him comfortable with the next level so that progression and that development can continue. I love it. MJ Melendez. Just not sure how much playing time he's going to get, and that's kind of the shame of some of these young guys. You hit it right on the head, Grayson Rodriguez. It, barring injury, he's the next top tier, top ten guaranteed prospects. You know, I like uh, Grayson Rodriguez even more than I liked Forrest Whitley a few years ago. Um, if you were to put all of these guys in a little bit of a classification, Grayson would have been the guy that I would have chosen to hold on to in a dynasty league uh, for his price point, his age, and his overall ability. And then Brennan Davis, I think Davis is a comp to our guys out in Anaheim. Um, I think Joe Adele, Brennan Davis, Davis is probably a poor version of Joe Adele, and that scares me, right, because Adele's upside is huge, but we're still waiting to see that actual production and that consistency. Brennan Davis is going to go through the same cycle with that. He's just not as good as Adele. So Cubs actually have a good prospect, but don't love him. Uh, Richie, the last couple of guys I want to talk about here, I'm going to list them off, and I'm going to let you start. We've got our boy Riley Green, you know, very anticipated name that we wanted to talk about. We have Spencer Torkelson and then C.J. Abrams for the Padres, who is still on the team, wasn't traded, did break his leg, is healthy now. Uh, what do you think of all three of these guys? Yeah, C.J. Abrams, he's going to be a speed guy. He's pretty much a stolen base expert. I, I don't think you're going to get any power out of him, and depending on how he translates, to the majors. Um, I don't think we see him this year. He's hasn't been above double A and they have Fernando Tatis um, and Jay Croningworth at second. So I don't see a path to playing time for him. So not so much interested in him, but Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, 
especially for the Detroit Tigers. Uh, I see them both coming up together. If I'm being honest, maybe we see Riley Green uh, beforehand. He really started blooming in the middle of the season last year. I know we had a few talks off the air um, about how great he's doing and he's the next guy to get. And then Spencer Torkelson started the year really rough, had a bad batting average, and then he started to find his groove, hit home runs. It'll be nice to see him um, in the majors. I'm excited for both of them. Yeah, and I think I've made this comp before for uh, for Riley Green. If you can look at Brian Reynolds' absolute peak performance, I think that's what we see out of uh, out of Green as his floor. A guy that's going to hit, you know, 15, 20 home runs. He's going to hit 300. He's going to steal you 20 bags. He's going to get the counting stats. He's going to get the runs. He's going to get the RBIs because he's constantly making contact. I think your ceiling here is completely unknown because he's 20 years old. You don't know how his body's going to fill out. You don't know how that power is going to translate, especially in Detroit. You know, we talk about a lot that the issues that Nick uh, Castellanos had with that right field wall and, and right center. Green is a left-handed hitter. He could he could run into the same problems, but if he fills into that body, you could see an ascension like Juan Soto here. We could be talking about Riley Green in the same stratosphere that we're talking about Julio Rodriguez. I don't think there's any question Julio Rodriguez becomes a top 10 player in the game. Riley Green has that ceiling. I just don't yet see the body, and I haven't seen the numbers really show me that. I mean, the numbers have been great. If you look at uh, Riley Green's numbers, Last year, he hit 301. He had 24 home runs right there. The power is already starting to show. He slugged 534. I mean, the numbers are there, but I want to see it at a major league level. And he's going to have the lineup protection with Spencer to do that, right? Spencer Torkelson is probably the closest thing we've seen to Pete Alonso with a little bit more contact, maybe a little less power. May actually marvel some of those numbers as he has um, all-star seasons. But both players, I, I think, are, are, are on their way to being very good fantasy options. And then I kind of have a little bit of a disagreement with you on C.J. Abrams. Um, I, I think he is going to be more than just a speed guy. I think he's going to hit you know anywhere from 8 to 15 home runs. I think he's going to hit 280 to 300. He's got the contact skills, and he's got the 80-grade speed. So if you think back to Billy Hamilton, Billy Hamilton's big knock was not being able to actually make enough contact. You're looking at the opposite here with C.J. Abrams, a guy that's going to get on base all the time. And in that lineup, that's extremely dangerous for his counting stats. He's going to put up crazy runs. He hopefully will be able to put up a good amount of doubles. And, you know, the power, if it comes, it comes. But, again, he's probably not going to be playing shortstop. I think the best comp for C.J. Abrams is a younger version of uh, Trey Turner. You know, less power. Turner's now hitting 30 home runs a year, which is crazy. If you think back to Turner, he was a 15 home run guy. I think Abrams is the next Trey Turner. That's a, that's a bold prediction, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but let's move on. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about our uh, starting pitching rankings. I know we we just started our rankings, um, so let's let's do this. Let's um, go through uh, uh, the first top ten, and then maybe pick out one or two guys that we really like and kind of sets us apart from the rest of the analysts out there. So, do you want to go first, or you want me to go first? We're gonna kick it off. You go ahead. All right, let's let's start off. I so the first one I have is uh, in order: one Garrett Cole, two Corbin Burns, three Jacob Degrom, four Max Scherzer, five Walker Bueller, six Zach Wheeler, seven Brandon Woodruff, eight Shane Bieber, nine Shohei Otani, and ten Logan Webb. And I think the one that sticks out for me out of all these is my last one I just mentioned: number ten Logan Webb. This is a guy who has a phenomenal changeup. It did wonders for the San Francisco Giants. Or no, not the Giants. Oh, no, yeah, it is the Giants. I'm starting to get football and uh, <laughs> baseball mixed up here. But Those uh, Giants are much better than the New York Giants and will be for a long yes, time. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, no, he did phenomenal, and that I got to witness that firsthand. Uh, going up against Jackson, he turned out to be the ace for him easily outperformed Walker Bueller in that last month and was the reason why the Giants uh, progressed in the postseason. He was lights out and just watching the way he pitches his composure. He just, he has the stuff of being an ace and I think he's the breakout pitcher of this year. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I have, I have Webb there at 10 as well. Um, we've obviously kind of cross looked over our, our rankings and 
I am I'm more concerned, I guess, with Webb than I am optimistic about a breakout performance because we've seen a lot of guys with that changeup potential, right? That incredible changeup drastically change in the rankings from year to year. That is my concern, my concern with Logan Webb. Kind of the nullifying factor to that is that is that he's a San Francisco giant. He plays in a ballpark that ultimately will always protect his ERA, um, and his control is going to protect his whip in, in that right. My one through ten goes. Garrett Cole, number one. Uh, Corbin Burns, number two. Our first deviation, I actually have Max Scherzer coming in at number three. Those of you that listened to the podcast last year know how awfully wrong I was about Max Scherzer's 2021 campaign. I had projected falling out of, I think, the top 30. Um, I was wrong. So we have Max Scherzer here at three. I am not going to make the same mistake going into 2022. Walker Bueller at four. Zach Wheeler's great campaign in 2021 being rewarded by a number five ranking. Shane Bieber at six. I then go ahead, have uh, Brandon Woodruff at seven. I think Woodruff is an underrated top 10 guy. Um, I have Jacob DeGrom, who you have three at eight. I am ranking him based on projected injury with that that elbow. I am not 100% certain we see him very much at all of 2022. Uh, Shohei Otani at number nine and Logan Webb at number 10. The only guy I want to hint on here is uh, Shohei Otani. I, I think I'm going to move him in my rankings. Uh, we've kind of talked about this off the air. The The idea of him only pitching once a week, unless you're in a, uh, a roto league or a categories league, is really going to affect his points rankings. And I kind of try to do my, my rankings off points. Shohei Otani, I expect to have even a better 2022 pitching campaign. But when you're only getting one start out of him a week, it's going to be a little bit hard to be top 10. Yeah, and I'm going based off of Jacob DeGrom playing. Now, if we get some news that he can't go in spring training and his elbow is not back to normal, then obviously he's going to drop below. But I'm ranking this as he's 100% healthy. And even if he is back to normal, he easily can jump up to number one and surpass Garrett Cole and Corbin Burns. Um, I could also see Corbin or uh, Garrett Cole dropping down to three or four, depending on how he uh, performs. I know he had some up and down uh, statistics with uh, the sticky stuff, but it seemed like he started to figure it out there at the end. So I'm optimistic that he can continue that trend and and figure it out. But let's move on to the the next 11 through 20. So I'll go first. Um, 11, I have Chris Sale. 12, Julio Urias. 13, Sandy Alcantara. 14, Aaron Nola. 15, Robbie Ray. 16, Jack Flaherty. 17, Charlie Morton. 18, Freddie Peralta, 19, Kevin Gosman, and number 20, Carlos Rodon. So before I get into any of these, I want you to list yours, and then we can kind of talk about some discrepancies, because I think this is where we kind of start deviating in our rankings a little bit more. It's funny. We're actually in this classification here. We're still very similar. Um, I have 11, Chris Sale. I have 12, Julio Urias, 13, our boy Sandy Alcantara, 14, Aaron Nola, 15, Robbie Ray, 16, Jack Flaherty, 17, the ageless wonder who broke his leg, Charlie Morton, Freddie Peralta comes in at 18, Gosman at 19, and you'll like this because he is not even in your top 30, if I am correct. At 20, I have Lance Lynn. That is correct. I am not a Lance Lynn believer, and he is not even in my top 35. Um, but surprisingly, you have Carlos Rodon, and you don't really believe in him, so I think my number 20 is the one that sticks out here. I believe what he did um, in 2022, and I think he just got a little gas, a little dead arm at the end, and I think he'll get through that, and wherever he signs, um, I think he'll do wonders, and I think he'll he'll be similar, if not better, to what we saw last year. Yeah, I mean, I do have him, and I do own him, and it's hard because my concern is that dead arm, is the, the fact that he ran out of juice last year was there any structural damage done? That's my question. You know, we, he's not on a team, so we haven't heard anything. There haven't been free agent rumors because of the lockout, you know, which means MRIs can't be done, physicals can't be done. I love Carlos Rodon's ability when he's healthy, but what is the biggest knock on him his entire career is the fact that he can't stay healthy. I don't expect that to change. You know, when we talked about doing these rankings, um, I think you brought up the best point. You look at each player and you say, would I rather have? And health goes into that for me. It kind of goes into the equation as to why I have Jacob DeGrom number eight and why I've now put Rodon actually at 21 behind Musgrove. Um, we'll get to those in a minute here. But the guy I want to talk about here is Chris Sale. 
Um, I think Chris Sale has number one potential. I think Chris Sale has absolutely like number one and then a distance behind him number one potential this season. He looked good from all the guys that I have seen in the last 25 years of my baseball fandom life. Coming back from Tommy John is not easy. You know, the guys, they don't come out like they used to be. Do they regain their form? Do they become better sometimes? Absolutely. But that first season back, normally you see them struggle through a number of different issues. Chris Sale, outside of a small amount of command issues at the very first few starts and longevity issues of going deep into games, looked like Chris Sale for the most part. I expect him to come out this season, pitch six, seven innings a game, strike out anywhere from eight to 12 batters. I think he has number one potential, but he is at 11 because, again, I need to see it first. Yeah, I like Chris Sale, and I agree with everything. The only concern I have is how many innings is he really going to get, you know, he did look great coming back from Tommy John, but he didn't really go the distance. And I'm curious to see if he'll get past that 175 inning mark this year, or if the Red Sox will be a little bit cautious with him. But let's move on to 21 through 30 uh, to wrap up the show. So my 21 is Frankie Montas, 22 Joe Musgrove, 23 Max Fried, 24 Trevor Rogers, 25 Alex Manoa, 26 Lucas Giolito, 27, Framber Valdez, 28, Jose Barrios, 29, Luis Castillo, and then 30, I have you Darvish, but I might be swapping him out for Justin Verlander. So uh, let's go through yours and then talk about them. Yeah. Um, so again, very similar. We have a couple differences. My 21 is going to be Joe Musgrove. My 22 is going to be Rodon here, um, followed up by 23, Montas, 24, Freed, 25 Rogers, 26 Manoa, 27 Giolito, 28 Valdez, 29 Castillo, uh, 30 Barrios. I'm going to keep going here. 31 Blake Snell, 32 you Darvish. So I've added a couple guys because I think they need to be, as you said, kind of pushing that top 30. But the biggest one I added was Joe Musgrove. Uh, I, I think when you look at all of these guys, there's a lot of question marks. You know, you look at Rodon, it's the health. You look at Montas, it's the steroid use. You look at Freed, it's the injuries, slash just the simple fact that he's not, he doesn't have dominating pitches outside of being a ground ball guy. Rodgers is innings. Manoa is innings. Giolito is consistency. Valdez is, he always gets a crazy injury. So the next time he goes to the bathroom, he may slip and hit his head. Uh, Luis Castillo, you know, outside of that changeup, does he have anything? He plays in Cincinnati too. Barrios, new team, you know, AL East, uh, Blake Snell, consistency. So Joe Musgrove comes in as, you know, the guy that I'm most confident in in this group because there's not as much question mark. Yeah, and this is the range where you start to see, yeah, these guys have top 10 potential, don't get me wrong, but they also have question marks. They could easily fall outside the top 50 for any given reason, which you just listed off. I think if there's one that I really want to hone in on and that I would take a chance on of maybe pushing, it's Alex Manoa. You know, showed uh, great potential in his rookie year. And um, him and Trevor Rogers, I think, um, could really take that leap forward or we find out who they really are. All right, Richie. So we're just getting to the end now of our first show back. Kind of nice. Uh, we went over our top 30, 32, you know, those fringe players. The biggest thing I think coming into fantasy draft seasons, you know, you're trying to target guys that are going to provide you top 30 upside, especially in the pitching category. And you're looking to target those guys either mid-draft, mid late draft. That's what's made us so good at being fantasy baseball managers through the years. We're able to hone in on those guys and, and really grab them and capitalize on some of that talent. You know, we talked about Rodon being one of those guys last year. He was definitely a waiver wire pickup that needed to be done quickly because look what he performed at. So who are some of the guys outside of our top 30, maybe even our top 40 right now that you're looking at that could provide top 30 fringe top 20 upside in this 2022 campaign? Yeah, one that we didn't even talk about that in some rankings is already in a top 30 is Shane McClanahan. Uh, his rookie year, he did phenomenal, and I might be putting him in there. But if we want to dig a little deeper, 
ones that really stick out to me are guys like Logan Gilbert. You know, he was also a rookie, kind of struggled out of the gate. I ended up dropping him. You picked him up, lucky you. Um, and he he kind of uh, started getting going there. So I see the the ace potential in him. Mike Clevenger coming back from Tommy John for that San Diego Padres team. I think he can really make a, a difference for them. And then uh, Shane Baz. Uh, or Boz, he, he's got that ace potential. We've, I'll be honest, uh, somebody who I didn't really care too much about going through the minors. I know you and Jackson kind of had your eye on him and kind of saw the potential. So kudos to you guys. Um, I really think he can make a difference here. Um, those are the big ones, I think. And then uh, one that you don't have on your list is uh, Ranger Suarez. Uh, relief pitcher turned starting pitcher at the end of the year and showed that great um, strikeout rate and ground ball rate as a reliever but he was stretched out and he showed he was able to consistently do that over five six innings and go uh, three turns through the order and it'll be interesting to see if he can keep that up or if batters will um, figure him out this year. Yeah, Ranger Suarez haunts my dreams. Um, you know, we had we as Richie had talked about kind of at the beginning of the show, the four of us had entered into the playoffs as, you know, hoping to play each other. We end up playing each other, and I did what a lot of managers do is I set my pickups for the following weeks. I said, okay, you know, Ranger Suarez, uh, Frank Schwindel, these are guys I'm going to grab this certain period of time because they are going to benefit me based on two starts, based on their opponents they're playing. And I missed out on Suarez by probably two days. So I think you, because I had absolutely loved the profile that I saw. And in a points league, I knew he was going to be RP eligible for the 2022 season. I think Ranger Suarez, his upside is honestly top 20. You know, his floor is it is in the is in the bullpen, if not in the minor leagues. Like he could completely fall off. What we saw could be an admiration of you know his ability, but. Great 2021 potential. I, I like that addition from you, Richie. A um, couple of guys that I just want to talk about that may be a little bit different from the industry. You know, we're hearing a lot of uh, Detmers from the Angels in California as being a big guy at the target. I'm not a big fan of him. I think he's had some issues with contact, especially hard hit contact. He's got a good curveball, but good curveballs are, you know, susceptible to home runs. Uh, Joe Ryan's a big one in Minnesota that guys in the industry are liking. I just don't see the tools that. Uh, are going to provide me top 30 upside, especially the offense there. Uh, Mike Clevenger, great talk by you, Richie. Again, concerns with sale on the innings. Same thing with Clevenger. And Baz, I've loved Baz for a while. This guy is not as much as Grayson Rodriguez, but I will say top 15, top 20 guaranteed over the next five years. He's going to be an absolute ace stud. And the Pittsburgh Pirates made an absolutely ridiculous trade to give him away with the other pieces on top of Glasnow they did. But I'll mention a couple guys here. Um, Drew Rasmussen for the Rays. Got him from the Brewers in that Willie Adamas trade. Put together some nice numbers last year. This guy is sneaky. Uh, he's got RP eligibility, so you're talking top 30. I don't know, but you're talking about having a useful guy from that relief pitcher role that is a starter. Again, innings is probably the issue because he was a reliever in Milwaukee, became a starter with the Rays. Uh, Tony Gonsolin has been a guy that we've been banging the drum about for a lot of time here on the podcast and uh, together. Does he get the opportunity with the Dodgers finally with Bowers, you know, kind of status in question? Uh, Cal Quantrill for the Indians. How many big-time Indians players have become superstars from the pitching rotation over the last 15 years out of nowhere? Now you think about Cliff Lee, CC Sabathia, Shane Bieber now, um, you know, Corey Kluber. Can Cal Quantrill be that guy? Put together some nice numbers last year. If he can do that all the way through this season, you're talking about a top 30 starter. I think Cal is also RP eligible. Uh, Pablo Sandoval is a big industry guy. Wait and see. I didn't see enough from the numbers to really tell me that he's going to be the next Robbie Ray. That's what they're saying. Um, if he's at the end of drafts and he's still there, maybe snag him for your bench because he might be a wild card. But the last one I want to talk about is Ian Anderson. Ian Anderson is outside my top 30. Ian Anderson has top 15 potential. He's got to stay healthy. He's got to develop those secondary pitches. He's got to locate his fastball. If Ian can do all of those things with a good Braves team, Ian Anderson could absolutely, with 200 innings, be a top 20 pitcher. Uh, I think he's probably a guy that I'm going to have to move around in my own rankings and maybe slide him into top 35. I've always loved Anderson. He doesn't necessarily have the same stuff as Shane Baz, but he's a very good pitcher. Yeah, I agree with most of what you said, Kale Quantrill. I know his... Uh, um 
underlying metrics didn't really back up exactly what he did, so I think he's going to regress a little bit. But I do think he'll be a, a good player overall. Joe Ryan, I think he's going to have a great strikeout rate, but I think he needs to work on his control a little bit more. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he does there. But the rest, I, I pretty much agree with. Um, I think Drew Rasmussen, he's got that 100-101 mile fastball. Um, but kind of struggles with the secondary stuff. So I think long-term, he's better off as a, a reliever or midterm uh, reliever. So it'll just be interesting to see what happens with these guys. And maybe at the end of the year, we'll see if uh, some of these guys hit or not. But I think that wraps up all the segments we have for you guys today. Um, is there anything else you want to tell the listeners before uh, we take off? No, no. It's nice to be back. Uh, you know, look for us this season to kind of do a little more of a consistent recording. We hopefully will get all the way through the fantasy season. Hopefully we have baseball soon. I think our next episode, we'll dive into some more rankings. Uh, you know, prospects is pretty much done for us. So it's kind of setting up the 2022 fantasy season. Yeah, I can't wait. It'll be a, a lot of fun. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys.